Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah! Three decades ago, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers captured my imagination. Like many of my fellow 90s kids, I watched after school, joined the official fan club, and of course, collected the toys. Eventually, I put those toys away, but the flame of my Power Rangers fandom never died. Now, in this milestone 30th anniversary year, I am re-examining the show, its legacy, and the tale of its most legendary ranger across media. It's time to get back to action. Welcome to Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Gold Ranger arc from Power Rangers Zio is first-time guest Henry Verona. Welcome. Howdy. Uh, thanks for having me aboard. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. We were just reminiscing a little bit off mic. We met a good few years ago now when you were working at Midtown Comics, and I interviewed you and one of your coworkers for my very first podcast series, My Comic Shop History. And yeah. we've kept in touch via social media, and I've seen you post about Power Rangers generally, and specifically mm -hmm. about a rewatch that you've undertaken, I guess, in the in the fairly recent past. So I was happy to have you on here and, and be able to compare notes about Zio. Yeah, you know, I thought it was funny um, when we first uh, touched base about this that you were asking me, hey, do you want to talk about this thing? And I'm like, I'm actually watching that right now. Uh, fairly convenient timing. Yeah, I'm so glad that worked out. So I want to talk about your you know, your Power Rangers fan journey, your history with the franchise, and of course, get into these episodes. But let me start by just kind of rattling off uh, what we watched and what we'll be talking about. This first episode, I didn't put on our official list, but I, I did watch it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include it here. So, The Power of Gold, which introduces the mysterious Gold Ranger, Revelations of yeah. Gold, where he's revealed to be Trey of Triforia, A Golden Homecoming, where Trey transfers the Gold Ranger powers to Jason in a surprise return, where in the world is Zeo Ranger 5 when Tommy goes missing on the lake and Jason and Kat and the rest of the team try to find him and fail, which leads into King for a Day Parts 1 and 2, where Tommy is brainwashed and thinks he's the king of the machine empire and has to battle Jason as the Gold Ranger in the arena. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but these were my two favorite episodes of Zeo. Yeah. And two of my favorite episodes generally. So I, I can't I can't stress how much I love those two. A Brief Mystery in Time, where they're stuck in a time loop and Tommy is the only one who recognizes it. And the finale of Zeo, Good as Gold, where Jason has to transfer the powers back to Trey of Triforia, 
and the Zeo Rangers finally triumph over Mondo and the Machine Empire. This was a solid batch of episodes, I have to say. It it really is. And, you know, we're the stuff we're talking about is kind of a latter day Zeo, like the second half of the series primarily. Um, and it, it's such a dramatic shift in quality from the first half. Um, and there's some really, really great episodes here. So I'm, I loved watching through it. I also, I've been saying this in almost every episode where I've been tracking exactly when I fell off. And at the beginning of this podcast series, I was like, oh, I stopped watching like halfway through Zio. And then as I started doing more research and looking at the actual list of episodes, I realized, oh, Jason's turn as the Gold Ranger is fairly deep into the season. And I saw, I saw that. And then I realized even further, I didn't include these on our list, but Rangers of Two Worlds, where Billy ages up and then leaves. And we, we can't touch on that, unfortunate behind the scenes uh, reasons for all of that. But those mm-hmm. come, you know, there are only two episodes after that. And I saw those. So I might have only not seen the last episode or two of Zeo. <laughs> so I made it basically to the end. So I watched far more of Zeo than I thought coming into this process. I love the idea of you as a kid just being like 90% of the way through and going, eh, I'll change the channel. That's the thing. It's so wildly out of character for me then or now. I mean, I rarely drop a show. I I have. Um, The Arrowverse comes to mind, sad to say. (laughs) But for the most part, once I'm in, I'm in. And especially Power Rangers at that point in time. But as best as I can remember, I really don't think I ever saw certainly that last episode. Because as I was watching it last night, it really wasn't. It wasn't jogging any memories, but in any event, I'm glad to be here now. And I want to, speaking of, you know, being a kid and watching this, I'm curious to get your take because I think, so I just turned 36. So I have, I think a good handful of years on you. So yeah, you're five years older than me. So this was a point in time where I was essentially kind of like aging out of it. I wasn't as interested. Kids in my class weren't really watching it anymore, but I feel like for you, this was probably kind of the sweet spot. Like what was your, your history with the franchise? Well, okay. So now this is going to sound kind of funny and it's going to sound put on, but it's not. Um, so I don't really remember life before Power Rangers um, because being, I was only like a year and a half old when Power Rangers came out. So I obviously don't remember that. Um, but one of my earliest memories is me and my grandma. Uh, one summer I used to spend my summers in Chicago with her and she took me to a, uh, water tower place which is like a shopping mall in chicago and we went to see power rangers the movie and then we saw we went to mcdonald's and we got all the power rangers movie toys um you know the perfect iconic toys that every child of roughly our age probably had one or two of you know um and so that's literally my first memory is going to see power rangers the movie um and so then by the time that like Zeo came around, I was like full on hooked. Um, and like the Zeo Megazord, the the Super Zeo Megazord was the first Zord toy I had as a kid. So like Zeo was like, what, 95? No, 96. 96. So I would have been like four years old. And like, that was I loved it. I was a, a big fan. And I, st- I stuck with Power Rangers for a while. I did tap out. Um, I more or less tapped out after. I want to say I kind of tapped out after Turbo. I know I watched In Space and Lost Galaxy, but not like 
religiously. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't watching every episode. I was watching it, you know, when I could. Gotcha. Have you checked in with the franchise in the years since, especially for the legacy reunion episodes and things like that? Yes and no. So I, I'd missed Forever Red, which I don't know how I missed that because I feel like I don't know how I could have missed that because um, it was just like, I don't know, that would be like everything little kid me would have loved. Um, I did, though, watch Dino Thunder because I must have been I was definitely too old for Power Rangers. Uh, but one morning I just was flipping through the channels and I saw Tommy as Dr. Oliver um, and I was like, is that, is that Tommy? Is that the white Ranger? Is he back? Um, and so then I ended up being so excited he was back. And the episode that it's like his first or second episode is like, a it's like a recap episode where they play all the clips from previous Power Rangers. And so I remember just sitting down and being like, okay, I guess I'm caught up and then watching Dino Thunder. And then, you know, I, I, I watched like the 30th anniversary special recently, um, and I watched like the oddball season from, you know, time to time, a few episodes here and there. But now that was kind of why a couple years ago, I thought about how, you know, when you're a kid, you wake up and you watch cartoons or you watch like Power Rangers. Um, but as an adult, you wake up and it's the news or it is something substantially less fun, um, so a couple years ago, I was like, you know, I'm going to watch Power Rangers before I go to work. Um, and then I was kind of gradually doing it. And then I realized it really wasn't, it was fine. Um, but then it's funny you mentioned the Arrowverse. I know I'm blathering, but like with the Arrowverse, I went through and I was originally watching that kind of when the pandemic was really bad. Um, I would sit around and watch the Arrowverse, but it was it was almost too, like I would do it passively kind of in the background and I kind of started tuning out and I would try watching it while I was doing the dishes or something and I just didn't care. And then I realized Power Rangers is the perfect dishes TV show where I can more or less not pay attention and still be fine because half the episode is, you know, it's just fighting guys and like I don't have to pay attention. So it's great out of the corner of your eye. That's fair. I can't dispute that. Though I will say, I, I really did come to appreciate, especially in these later Zio episodes, that they did deviate from the the typical formula to some extent, right? It's, all yeah. of those tropes are still there, but they didn't all follow that exact format that we had grown so accustomed to. So like Revelations yeah. of Gold, you know, opens with this, you know, this outer space chase, right? As the bounty hunters are going right. after Gold Ranger and you know, we get some very, very, very shaky CGI, <laughs> but... But it was just a really cool way to kind of start the episode. And it wasn't, you know, the kids at the youth center having a personal problem that will then play into the monster that they're fighting that week, right? It it, it deviated from that. So uh, so I did appreciate that, but your, your, your point is well taken. I, I do get that. And so in terms of this, this rewatching that you've been doing, so did you start at the beginning of, of Mighty Morphin? Yes, I, uh, I started from Day of the Dumpster. Awesome. And uh, just kind of worked my way through, um, and it's been it's been really fun. It was also, you know, back in uh, what was it November when uh, Jason David Frank passed. Um, 
I was watch. I was on um, season three. I was in kind of like the ninja stuff. So I was like watching Power Rangers when I found out. Um, so that was really like kind of a surreal like moment, like kind of like holding out hope and then unfortunately getting the sad confirmation. I, so. I, I can identify with that because with the exception of falling down the Netflix hole a couple of times in recent years, I really hadn't revisited the franchise much at all, really, until I started this podcast. And then he passed really just, a, a, I was you know a few episodes into recording this. But so it was this surreal thing where Power Rangers hadn't really been part of my life in many, many years. And now all of a sudden I was immersed in it again. And our first two episodes were Green with Evil and then all of the, you know, Green Candle, Green No More, all of those episodes. So I was watching a lot of Power Rangers and Tommy-centric episodes, no less, when when he passed. And so it was just, it, it would have it would have hit me either way, but it hit me even harder because I was back in it for the first time in so long. So yeah, very weird how the timing worked out. With respect yeah. to to what we're talking about here, this is this is kind of a bittersweet moment for me in my revisitation of my fandom because. Again, this is where I stopped watching. And so as we move forward on the podcast, yes, I will at long last watch the Turbo movie and I'll watch a selection of, of Turbo episodes and we'll probably delve into Dino Thunder. We'll kind of track Tommy over the course of the franchise as our focal point, but it's not the same, right? I, I mean, I, I'm sure I'll get something out of it and we'll have fun discussions on the show, but at the same time, what has made these episodes so special to me is that I'm going back and I'm I'm watching again what I had seen as a little kid and and yeah. you know, filling in gaps in my memory and just seeing things from a totally different perspective. And so this is now kind of the last opportunity that I have to do that. So it, it is a little bittersweet, but uh, but I'm happy and excited to be here talking Gold Ranger. Yeah, the Gold Ranger stuff is really fun. And, you know, I think that this is kind of where I was so young. I had um, forgotten a lot of how the arc played out um with a lot of the details and you know mighty morphin i think kind of stays at the forefront of our minds like because everybody knows mighty morphin power rangers everybody knows the original zords and the original cast but by the time you get to zeo as a like cultural consciousness we become substantially less aware so you're not being reminded like everybody knows rita everybody knows zed you you don't remember all of the members of the machine empire, you know? If you had said, hey, is there a character named Louis Kaboom? I would have said, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I had no memory of him at all. And he's pretty important. It's always funny when we talk about this. And I guess I haven't really heard anything one way or the other for the most part from the audience on this, but I'm always, I guess people listening probably there's probably a range where there, I'm sure there are plenty of people who similarly don't remember and maybe some who have kind of like hazy memories and then others who know this like the back of their hand. But it's always funny. Right. We're talking about this. I'm like, I didn't remember this. And I'm sure there are people listening who are like, of course, like Louis Kaboom, greatest villain in power Rangers history. <laughs> Louis Kaboom is like so important for me to have completely forgotten. He existed. Yes. Like he is, it would almost be like, even though they serve different roles, it would be like forgetting like Goldar almost where you're like, no, this guy's important. He has actual plot, you know, for, uh, for sure. But I agree with you about how the gold Ranger arc 
plays out. So for anyone who doesn't remember, <laughs> again, he, he you know he shows up in mysterious fashion in that uh, initial episode, The Power of Gold, where uh, Mondo and and his minions they they're they've split up the team. They've sent out. Uh, multiple distress signals and the team has had to split up to, to try to address this. And, you know, he's kind of wearing the Rangers down uh, through this process. And then this, you know, giant pyramid ship enters Earth's atmosphere and causes a power disturbance and the machine empire has to retreat. And then a lot of the rest of the episode is both sides trying to figure out where that power source comes from. And then the Gold Ranger intervenes yet again. It's very funny because both Tommy in the heat of battle and then Zordon afterward are both like, we don't know what side he's on. It's like, this guy's fighting against your enemies. Does that not clue you in? <laughs> you, you'd think that the outfit choice would be a pretty easy <laughs> signifier too, you know? You look at the guy and you go, he seems he seems legit. He seems like he's, he's not a giant robot, you know? But I guess uh, the Green Ranger tricked him before, so maybe, That's- you know? I, I guess that's fair, but even look aside, just just the actions, I felt like this shouldn't have been as much of a mystery for them, but it's okay, we'll go along with it. Yeah. But I got to say, man, just the look of the character. And anytime we get a sixth ranger, there's always something pretty cool about it and, and does call to mind the Green Ranger. So, I mean, I've always been a fan of the, of the Gold Ranger, um, especially yeah. once Jason takes over. But even initially, like watching that first episode when he shows up and he takes out the cogs and it's just it's just cool, just the power uh, that he exhibits. And from that point forward, there's about you know half a dozen episodes where and I did not rewatch these. I skimmed through some and I read about them. Uh, so you might have a, a more recent memory if, if you've been you know, doing your rewatch. I, I did. I watched. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I'll defer to you. But so my understanding is over the next few episodes, we keep getting presented with various red herrings. So someone who seems like they yeah. could be the, the Gold Ranger, like someone uh, will disappear and the Gold Ranger will appear and then they'll come back. Is that the idea? That is the idea. And it. I will say it's actually really well done. Um, I was very surprised by, you know, I know where it's going, but they give you a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of people who are mysteriously missing during key events where you're like, you know, it could be Billy. It could be Tommy's brother. It could be the new kid at the school that I, I wish I could remember his name. The one who's like Billy adjacent. Cause he's also the nerdy computer kid. Like there's just like, and he's a small supporting role, but kind of like how it's like a better version of the White Ranger stuff, where like you didn't know who the White Ranger was going to be, um, but you knew who it was going to be because there's only a couple characters and they're not really that important. Um, these characters, especially once we find out that the Gold Ranger is not a character we're familiar with, it makes it that these are all viable candidates. So that makes it really thrilling when. It could be Skull. Skull's missing for an episode, and that's a great red herring. That is. In our last episode, we covered the Arrowhead arc, where Tommy discovers his long-lost brother, David Trueheart. And I know David pops up. I did kind of skim through that episode. And so I know David pops up in another one as a as a potential uh, contender. Yes. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but it, I do have to give them a lot of credit because at the end of Revelations of Gold, where Trey of Triforia, he has to divest himself of these powers, right? He can't maintain his unified form and he has to pass the powers on before they're lost. And Tommy has this idea like, oh, I, I know someone, right? And you know, and it ends on, oh, you gotta get to him in time. And when the next episode starts and we have, you know, Tommy and, and this mysterious person in the trench coat and, uh, you know, 
bandana on his head and sunglasses. On the one hand, it's like, well, of course it's Jason. But when you factor in David and also the fact that Tommy's calling him bro, I mean, especially from a distance and with that attire, I think it, if it had ended up being David, it would have been like, okay, that tracked. So it really, yeah. I feel like the the various contenders made a lot of sense. I mean, I, I didn't rewatch this one, but I remember, I have a vivid memory of watching this as a kid. One of the episodes that really positioned Billy as the, yes. as the gold ranger. And it ends on a shot of him, like looking at the rangers and the, you know, they're in the power chamber. And I remember just as a kid being so excited and so convinced and I remember like my parents were in the room and I was like, oh, Billy's the gold range. Like, I was <laughs> so excited. I was so wrong, but it just, like, right. I, I just bought into it and I was so excited. And, and I think, yeah, I think they did a good job kind of, kind of building that out. Well, well just to, to touch on Billy, you know, one of the things that surprised me about watching through Zio and, you know, especially given that he has kind of like, a, I would say a, a sad, like way of leaving the show. Um, I was struck by how much I really enjoyed Billy in a lot of these episodes. And at this time period, um, Billy as like, he's not a sixth ranger. He's like a advisor, you know, he's with the team, but he's really compelling. Um, especially while I've been doing my rewatch, I remember liking Billy as a kid, but Billy is a much better character, um, than I had kind of given him credit. And especially, you know, it's funny that you say that as a kid, you thought he was the Gold Ranger because they do a really good job of setting him up as the Gold Ranger. Um, and there's a part of me, I really like Jason coming back, but part of me does wish like we had gotten to see Billy take a different path. All right. I want to circle back to that in one second, but I agree with you. I like him a lot as the advisor and the tech guy. And it's it's hard to divorce what's happening on screen from what we know is happening behind the scenes and to whatever extent this attitude towards him and who he was prevented him from being a ranger is awful. And again, it's hard to kind of separate that, but when you just watch what's playing out on screen, yeah, it's, it was a cool new different role. And I, the thing with the Rangers, of course, it's often the Tommy show. It's like Tommy and company. (laughs) And had he been a ranger, I mean, I know he would still be handling the scientific stuff, but I feel he would have just been one of the team. And this gave him a very distinct role that we hadn't seen before. We're used to Zordon and Alpha, and now we've got we've got Billy there. So yeah, yeah, he makes him. It gives him a specialness, you know, where he gets to stand off on his own, and he kind of, I don't know, he has his own storylines. I think more so than he would if he was part of the gang, you know, part of the like main crew, for sure. So now here are the questions that I have for you. I want to get your take on this. So. We have all of these contenders for who's under that Gold Ranger helmet. And it turns out it's none of them. It's a character we've never seen before, Trey of Triforia. And then the powers have to get passed to someone else. And we have, again, we're only talking about half an episode here where we don't know who they're going to go to. And they end up going to Jason, who had long since departed the show uh, to go to the World Peace Conference with Zack and Trini. So he shows up and he takes over and he's the Gold Ranger until the end of Zeo. How satisfying was it to you, I guess at both points, the revelation that it's not someone we know, that is Trey of Triforia, and then, you know, Jason taking up the mantle. How satisfying did you find each of those those decisions? Well, I think it's kind of cool with Trey. So Trey is an interesting choice because 
Prey is an anomaly for what we've been exposed to at that point. You know, like we had the regular Rangers, we have the alien Rangers who don't have any, like the whole point is that they're fish out of water, right? You know, um, and then you have Trey who we don't even know his alter ego. He really gets to be mysterious. And then you find out that he's like an alien with his own really weird history. And like, uh, that makes him, I think, really interesting because I kind of like having a ranger who isn't just a high school teenager, you know, he's, you, you believe Trey because he comes in and he's flying through space in a pyramid being shaped. Like it's this really, it's like star Wars, you know, it's like the opening shot of the star destroyer, but it's, just one guy and that puts him on a pedestal. Um, and then, you know, eventually the way that things play out, having it be Jason is really cool too, because Jason was gone. And especially like, if you're talking like as a child, your perception of time is very different. So two years and change since he had been gone, right? Cause he leaves in season two. So he'd been gone for, what, a year and a half, two years by the time these episodes air, probably. Um, that's a really long time for a kid. I mean, that is really cool to kind of see somebody that you didn't even think was a possibility. You're like, oh, no, he's he's gone. Yes, absolutely. So I want to I'll, I'll give my take on on this in a second. And I think you've kind of won me over on the tray front. But <laughs> I don't know. You, you might be familiar with this, but. Uh, I learned in my, uh, you know, reading Rangers wiki and all that. <laughs> so the gold Ranger prior to Jason taking over, but the gold Ranger when morphed is voiced by Brad Hawkins, who played Ryan Steele on VR troopers. Oh, I didn't know that that was that dude. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I remember liking that as a kid. Yes, I did watch that as well. I talked about this, I think, in the last episode. Uh, I didn't watch a ton of it. I was not nearly as into it as I was Power Rangers, but I did watch it a fair bit, and I, I do have at least some memory of it. I had I had the toys of all of them and a couple vehicles, nice. So, but I remember more through the toys than the show. Nice. Well, so, you know, Brad Hawkins, the, you know, his history, and we talked about this when we did the White Ranger stuff, but I guess initially the plan was for him to be the White Ranger and for Jason David Frank to go and lead VR Troopers, and then Saban oh. switched. And I'm not sure, because again, I, we take everything with a grain of salt. We read online. It, it seemed like maybe initially there was the idea that not just Brad Hawkins, the actor, but but Ryan Steele, the character from VR Troopers, would come over and be the Gold Ranger. I think that might have been oh, an, an early intention. Don't hold me to this. And if anyone knows anything to confirm or refute that, please let me know. <laughs> but uh, at a minimum, it's a cool nod to this other show and yeah. this other actor who potentially could have been on Power Rangers. And it builds the mystery, right? Because you don't, you know, it's a voice that we don't know from the show, but it's close enough where if then it had turned out to be Billy or any of these other people, it's like, you know, you would go along with it. Yeah. But going That's, back. That would, that would have been really interesting because, I mean, I'd, I'm completely taking your word here. So whether or not you're, you're right. Um, but it's not like there isn't a precedent for that because the whole masked rider thing, like there is a precedent and Saban had their hands in a lot of different shows at the time. So that would have been real. And also I'm, I mean, I don't know, but like I have to imagine VR troopers was doing fine. I don't think it did extraordinarily well, but 
that's the kind of uh, like marketing hook that would like spice everything up. Yes. Oh, for sure. But so the argument you made for Trey is it was a convincing one. Not that I was down on Trey, but I guess there is a part of me that would have enjoyed if it had been someone we knew. But at the same time, I, I agree. Getting someone from another world kind of opens up another avenue. And also, if it had been one of our characters, then it becomes a sort of thing. It's Zordon and Alpha would have almost certainly had to know. And then it becomes another instance of them not sharing this with the Rangers and even beyond that, like really playing into, we don't know who he is. So I, I don't know that that would have been the right angle. Yeah. They already have enough trust issues after the last time they got a secret Ranger. Uh, that would have been pretty mean if they were like, Oh, by the way, one of your best friends is working for us, but we're not telling you. Yes. There's a, there's but I wouldn't a, put a past sword on. So. I know. Uh, that he, is, he's, he's kind of a shady dude. And I, I love him. Don't get me wrong. I love him. <laughs> But he has his moments where you you kind of question, like, okay, you are not transparent with your uh, associates here. This was, oh, I, you know, I forgot to bring it up in our, so in our last episode, like I said, we talked about the Arrowhead arc and also there's no business like snow business. <laughs> and in one of the Arrowhead episodes, and I, you know, everything is blurring together. So if I'm conflating anything, folks, forgive me, but in one of the episodes, there's a disturbance and Zordon is in his private chamber and Alpha summons him and and he's, he's like annoyed at Alpha, that Alpha disturbed him. And he even says, he's like, yes, I knew about this from my private chamber. And I forgot to bring this up in the episode, but I was like, what is this? Like, what is this private <laughs> chamber? What is he doing it? What, how does this even work? So many questions. What is he? I, I mean, you don't think about it, but is Zordon just like a guy who's just in that tube all day long, just doing nothing but staring and talking Alpha, you know? What's the downtime like? Like maybe he does need that private chamber to kind of decompress a little and, you know, he's dealing with teenagers all day. Teenagers and alpha. It's true. Well, look, we talked about this when we, when we went over the Mighty Morphin movie as a kid, it was shocking, shocking in that movie to see the tube destroyed and this guy in a gray turtleneck just, just laying there. Right. Cause that's yeah. not what I thought of as Zordon and you know, the movie is its own thing, but you know, talk about memories no, that are just mean, like seared into your brain. We, we have no other, if we're talking, it's 1996, you have no other idea what he looks like because you don't see Zordon ever. So the movie is kind of the headcanon for everybody at the time. Whether or not it's true, you know, the I'm sure that, you know, millions upon millions of kids saw that movie. So we all thought it, you know, they kind of just, I I don't know if they ever... I know Zordon gets more fleshing out at certain points, but, you know, they kind of were probably happy to just coast off of whatever understanding we might have gotten from the movie. True, true. And then as far as the the Jason reveal, I was very pleased with that. As a kid, I was genuinely surprised. And watching it now, I really loved it for reasons I'll, I'll share in a moment. But there there is a part of me going back to Trey that wishes we could have kind of had our cake and eaten it too with respect to Billy, because mm. as much as, again, you and I both like this role for him as the advisor. And I do think it served him well in a story sense. At the same time, he is one of the OG Rangers. He, you know, it, it was, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow, especially rewatching a Zeo beginning, just as it was hard for Billy to see Rocky take over as the blue Zeo Rangers. Like even, you know, even as a viewer watching, it's like, yeah, like Billy should be there with him. And had Billy been the, you know, the secret gold Ranger at the beginning, 
we could have had a little run for him as the Gold Ranger and then segued into Jason. But again, I think the way it played out was ultimately effective. But there is a little part of me that would have liked to have, have had that moment for him before he left. Yeah. Or even just, I mean, Billy doesn't get a, he doesn't really ever get too much of a physical role again either, you know? So that's kind of like, I'm not saying that he should be out, you know, in his, you know, in his little button down shirt fighting against uh, an army of cogs. But at the same time, it is kind of surprising that you never even see him forced into a fight or something, you know? Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. So this was something that I've been talking about for a few episodes now, where one of the things that I've loved so much about rewatching the, the, f- the first two seasons in, in particular of Mighty Morphin is seeing the Rangers unmorphed fighting the putties and seeing the physicality and the ability of the actors. It's, it really just pulls you in and is this kind of amazing bridge between the American footage and the Japanese footage. And I feel like that serves a very, very critical function. Then we get to season three with the, with the ninja powers and the ninja costumes. Right. And as much as I liked it as a kid, I was like, oh, new, new outfits in between the, you know, <laughs> unmorphed and morphed. But now you watch it and it's like, oh, okay. So once they ninja up, those actors are out of there. Right. And I feel you lose something. And I was heading into Zio again, the, just the, the failures of memory <laughs> thinking like, oh, okay. Now we're past all that ninja business that I'm like, oh, we're going to see unmorphed fights with the cogs. And I mean, I've only watched, you know, out of 50 Zio episodes, how many have I watched? The, well, I don't know, a dozen, 20 maybe. But, and so you, again, you would know better than me. I mean, do we get many of those? Because in what I've watched, we really don't. Now the, I wouldn't say that I was uh, cognitive of it, but now that you're mentioning it, it is kind of like a lost art. You don't get a whole lot of it. You do get it. Um, but I think that... Uh, the cogs, I think, being more serious, like kind of like, you know, compared to like a putty, because putties are just, you know, making their weird whoop whoop noises and stuff. Cogs are silly, but they're pretty serious. So I don't think you get as much. You do get it from time to time, but, you know, they're, I think, too formidable for just a random person. Uh, so you do kind of lose that, which is a shame. You know, we don't get as much uh, of that bridging material where we get like, you know, we get helmetless at the the layer and stuff like that, but that's kind of the closest to get to that bridge. Exactly. I, I was really tracking that. And in all these episodes that I was watching, every time the cogs show up, all virtually every time, they instantly go to the morph. And so, yeah, Lost Art is a perfect way to describe it. I really do feel like you're missing a little piece there. So, uh, again, not something that as a kid I was dialed into, but watching it now, it is unfortunate. But I guess it gives me even more appreciation for... Uh, the original crew in those first couple of seasons of of Mighty Morphin. That went a long yeah. way, I really have to say. Oh, while we're just talking Zio generally, so one of our upcoming episodes, I'm so excited for this. So I'm not a gamer. I'm not a gamer, like, at all. But as a kid, I did I did love Super Nintendo. That was the first system that I had, and the very first game that I ever had was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And so we're going to do an episode on the Mighty Morphin game and the Mighty Morphin movie game. But I've also just been kind of exploring what else was out there, and... I don't think I even knew this as a kid that there was a Zeo battle racer game. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. It's a racing uh, are game. Are you the or something? No, you're the Zeo Rangers. It's basically Mario Kart, but with the Rangers. And so <laughs> you're just racing around in Zeo vehicles. It's not even the Zords. 
it's terrible. I played a minute of, and I said, this is not, it's just not. I'm going to have to look this up. That sounds, that sounds like exactly my brand of terrible that I have to look at it at least, you know, check it out. I, I believe, I mean, just Zio video game, but I think it's Zio battle power Rangers, Zio battle racers, but it's just, again, it's like Mario Kart, but with the Zio Rangers. And it's just for anyone out there who loves the game right on. I'm so glad you do, but it's just not, if you told me there's a Zio video game and you gave me 10 guesses as to what it was about, like that was the last thing it's like racing is not what I associate with power Rangers. Well, I mean, turbo, if anything, the one thing I will say, and this was, I'll, I'll maybe mention it again. Once we get into the episodes, there are a lot of wheel imagery in Zio that feels really weirdly out of place. And I don't understand it at all. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff with wheels and it really confuses me. So maybe that was the center. That's the best guess I can give you for brand cohesion of why that would exist. But there are a lot of wheels. Um, so maybe that was their reasoning. Maybe. But circling back to Jason. Real, you know, I was again, I remember liking Jason coming in as the Gold Ranger as a kid, but I really appreciated it even more now. Mostly because we're at the point now in the show where the only original ranger left is Billy, and he's not even a ranger anymore. And yes, Tommy's been there a very long time, but he wasn't there from the very beginning. And so, you know, we've had a fair amount of turnover. And I think, for the most part, the show did well with the transitions, even in the midst of some very, very difficult behind-the-scenes restrictions, especially when we're talking Jason, Zach, and Trini. But... You know, we've had a number, a, a good bit of turnover, and we've now had the changing of the costumes and the powers, various configurations of Zords and all that. And it just felt like this really nice tether to the past and to the beginning of the show to bring Jason mm -hmm. back in. It also now flips the dynamic where originally you had Tommy as the badass sixth ranger and Jason as the, you know, kind of the, the not square, but, you know, it's like the kind of. No, but know, he, he's like, he's Cyclops, you know, he's kind of stoic. Yes. You know your stalwart leader. And now yeah. it's flipped. And I feel like Jason, you know, he's wearing black and I just feel like he's a little more relaxed. He's, you know, he's flirting with that girl, Emily. He just, he has like a cooler vibe to him, I feel. And it just flips that whole dynamic. And I feel yeah. like they gave, they gave Jason and Tommy a number of really nice moments, especially in Jason's first return episode at the end, when they're at the punching bag at the, at the youth center and yeah. Jason's like, you know, we did a lot of good at the peace conference, but I'm glad to be back. And the only thing that let me, that made me comfortable to go was knowing that the Rangers were in good hands. And, you know, I want you to know, like, I'm not, I'm not here to try to, you know, put things back the way they were, right? Essentially saying like, you know, I'm here now to be, you know, to, in, in a support capacity, so to speak. And Tommy's like, well, we're all on the same team, blah, blah, blah. But it was just a nice, like, I'm glad that they took the time to acknowledge that and to have that moment between them. Yeah. Um, I think that, I'm actually, if I have one big takeaway, it's that I'm actually really impressed with how many of their bases they covered with Jason's return because, and I don't think it was part of what we were watching. There's also an episode where Rocky gets jealous. Yes. And that is, I'm so glad they touched upon that because I know that it, it almost feels Nowadays, I think that we get spoiled where we have a lot of um, people making the things that we like that are also fans of the genres that they're working in and they probably grew up on it, whereas back then they might not have. 
So it feels like a layer of meta commentary of almost like what fan perception would be like. But mind you, this is 1996. I don't think they were necessarily thinking that way. But I know because now over the last couple of years, I've uh, kind of been dabbling in more fan spaces and I've seen how people treat Rocky versus Jason. So it does almost feel like that episode is them going, hey, Rocky is still cool. He's just different. And he doesn't need to like necessarily be Jason in order to have value. Like he can, I mean, Rocky is a, he's, I don't know if this sounds mean. I don't mean it from a mean place. He's kind of a himbo. Um, <laughs> he's like the good looking kind of dumb guy. That's really fun. And like, he's completely different once his character starts getting fleshed out. So I like that they have that moment where he is a little insecure and I like that they have Jason and Tommy talking about, hey, man, I'm not trying to step on your toes. Um, and I even like that they acknowledge with Billy the multiple episodes in which they say, hey, Billy, is this OK that you're not one of us anymore? Like these are all kind of things that I think actually like speak to Power Rangers being a little. Don't get me wrong. There's an episode where they fight a purse, but Power Rangers being a little bit uh, deeper or having better writing chops than people give it credit for. No, that's very well said. I think that's a fantastic point. And yeah, that really goes a long way in these episodes and kind of building off of that, you know, it's no secret that Jason David Frank and Austin St. John were not best buddies. No. And you know, in, in, in more recent years, I, I don't know, maybe that's manifested in them not appearing at the same conventions or things like that. I, I don't, I don't know. But when you look at, at these episodes in particular, I give those guys a lot of credit because to, you know, and again, I don't know exactly what the dynamic was like, especially at that point. In no, time. I, I know that, you know, over time it developed, but I have no idea what it was like back when they were younger. Um, but uh, yeah, they have a really good um, I actually really like Jason and Tommy's relationship a lot. Yeah. And they're, you know what it is? I, you know, we've seen instances m more recently. That's funny. I didn't even watch the show, but the good wife, I remember, you know, Juliana Margulies and, and uh, you know, one of, one of her co-stars, you know, apparently they did not share the screen physically for, for multiple seasons. I mean, one of the characters left, oh. They had a, a, a parting scene where the two characters appeared in the same scene together for the first time in years, but it was done via green screen. Like they weren't physically on the set together. <laughs> now, obviously something like that would have been a little, a little bit beyond Power Rangers, but they could have, they could have just worked around this. They could have not had moments like that or. Well, especially because he is a sixth Ranger. So you don't need Jason to play into like to talk in like TV terms. You don't need him in the A plot. You could have Jason have his own B plot. Um, but they choose to keep it interwoven. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, King, King for gay in particular, I mean, it's so much of the two of them largely morphed, but, but nevertheless, you know, to get those moments and, and even the final scene of the entire series and good as gold after Jason's given up the powers and, you know, Tommy has this moment with him. He's like, I know what it's been. I know what it's like. I've been down this road before, you know, there's, there's more to life than being a superhero. And, and it's this great moment between them. So regardless of what, their feelings were towards each other. The fact that we got those moments, I, I give them credit and I'm glad that the show didn't, you know, did it, didn't try to work around it. Cause I think 
it really adds a lot and really plays into the history of the show, the franchise at this point, and these two characters in particular. So, uh, yeah, no, it was great. And just kind of have him back. And I didn't realize how much I had missed him until, until he was back. See, that's, uh, that is nostalgia done right. You know, that's when you like, like when you don't realize, you know, that like something was missing, it, it really is that added element, you know, it could be great. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. The other thing I've realized, and one of our previous guests, V. Ken Marion, he had expressed this, and, and I've kind of had this in the back of my head, and I, I, I've gravitated to this idea more and more. I want to get your take on this. What's what's your preferred version of Tommy, the sixth ranger or the leader? Um, well, I guess that my understanding, like my uh, perception of Tommy is very much shaped by, um, of all things, the movie, because that's probably as a kid what I saw the most because I didn't, you know, like I watched the episodes, but I didn't have cassette tapes of too many of the episodes but I had the cassette of the movie. So I would revisit that the most. So in a lot of ways that where he's really, I think in a lot of ways, I think that embodies him as the leader, the best. Um, Just again, it could totally be favoritism there, but I like him as a leader because I do think that he, uh, he has a nice bravado to him. He has a nice confidence. He is good at kind of checking in and keeping people together. But I do think it's interesting because in Zio, um, he's able to strike out on his own a lot. And even getting like those Arrowhead episodes where we explore him, um, I think that's really interesting too. 
like it shows that he's got worth on his own without the others, which doesn't help the whole Tommy show <laughs> label. But I guess long way of saying, I think I prefer him as a leader. Um, but I like him in kind of, he is also the most tenured ranger. So he's kind of the voice of experience. And I also like that element. That's fair. And I, I get that, especially given what your introduction was. So that makes total sense. And I don't, I'm not opposed to him as a leader. And obviously he spent so much time serving that function. So I'm certainly comfortable with it, but I don't know. I think especially upon rewatch, my ideal scenario is Jason as the leader and Tommy as the sixth. And that's why it was so cool when Tommy goes missing. And J and again, another reason why it was so great to bring Jason back, because when you do this story, where in the world is Zeo Ranger five, and now, you know, Jason has to step up. I mean, really, I suppose it should have been Rocky or one of the other ones, but you know, to see Jason kind of step up back uh, into the center of things was, was cool. I like that. That is actually, I will say this out of everything that I have relearned from watching Power Rangers for the first time in, you know, however many years when I last saw it, 25 plus years, whenever these would have aired, 30 years. Um, I am really impressed with how much I like Jason as a character now. He is a much better character than I think I gave him credit for at the time. Um, so I think that, uh, I don't know what, at what point in my life I decided that Jason was just, eh, but that was a very bad opinion to have. Jason is a really good character. He's, uh, like he might, so Tommy is the end all be all. Everybody can agree. Um, but for me, Adam was always my number two. I love Adam. Adam is one of my favorite characters. Um, and I don't have a rational reason why, other than I just always liked him. I always thought he had a, a very interesting role. Um, but Jason is like really close now, like really close for me, uh, right behind Adam. I love Adam too. And and I think, you know, I, I think I came into the podcast really, you know, really just kind of having Tommy in my mind and then especially rewatching Green with Evil and not to rehash that episode, but, you know, one of my, you know, kind of... Uh, thesis statements after rewatching green with evil is like as much as, and we talked about this as much as yes, it introduces Tommy. It's about Tommy, the green ranger, the dragons and all that stuff. But I feel like it's ultimately more Jason's story because it's him trying to keep the team together, dealing with this interloper, you know, fighting unmorphed with Goldar. you know, he has so much more to do. Whereas Tommy is just in this altered state for the, almost the entirety of it. And I think rewatching that gave me even more appreciation for, for Jason. So justice for Jason. He's, he doesn't get the credit. I think that, that he deserves <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as much as, but of I, course I, we love Tommy, but, but Jason. But yeah. You know, in that sense, I can understand why maybe there's a bit of a chip on uh, Austin St. John's shoulder with some of this stuff. And I can understand it too. Like, do I agree? No, I don't know their private lives. I try not to, especially with, um, with celebrities um, and especially celebrities that I grew up with, I can't view them. I, I don't know them. Um, but at least in that way, I'm like, mm, I, I get that. I'd be, I'd be a little annoyed too. Yes. I think it is. I do think it is understandable. So just like kind of a, a nerdy fan question, but you mentioned the super Zeo Zords and yes, that's part of the, uh, the golden homecoming episode where, you know, not only does Trey transfer the powers, but he also has these gems that form the super Zeo Zords. Cause Mondo has, cre uh, you know, has, has kind of uh, souped up his machines, 
right? A new alloy or whatever that makes them even more powerful. So we get the new Zords. Well, how do you feel about these Zords? I did not like them. The, the you super, don't like I don't like Zio. the Super Zeo Zords, no. So I'm of two minds. So uh, Nostalgic Henry loves them because that was my first Megazord. Um, Adult Henry, eh, they're okay. Like, I love the design of the uh, the Super Zeo Megazord altogether, um, but I am personally, and there's a few times in these episodes where I will talk about it because I was thinking about it. I'm not uh, sure how I feel about uh, multiple Zords all that are uh, autonomous on their own right. So, like, each member of this thing being its own robot, um, and I will say... And I, they all have uh, slightly different shapes, right? It's a geometric series. Um, the one for Zio number five, so Tommy, um, looks really silly. Because um, it's got a cone head. And I can't take it seriously because it's got a giant cone head and it just looks weird. Um, and it's a shame because I love the Megazord aspect, but I think it looks... So if you don't like it, fair game. Like, I, it's not my favorite. There have been a lot of really cool Megazords over the years. This one's just fine, you know? I, I think that it the Megazord aspect is very balanced, and you don't always get that with Megazords. So I like that aesthetically. Um, but it's fine. Also, the regular Zeo Megazord um, has, like, the coolest chest piece ever because it's got Rocky's, like, Sphinx robot in or zord um for the chess piece and that's so cool and then it's the shapes so i don't know no we're on the same wavelength because the reason you articulated for not not loving them so much now through adult eyes is the same problem i have with them and is the same problem that i had with the shogun zords towards the end of mighty okay. morphin same type of thing i like the idea when uh, you know, they all like have to fit together in a very specific way, as opposed to just like an army of them that, yes, I know yeah. they can, they can come together, but it doesn't feel like pieces of a puzzle fitting together in the same way. And so the super Zero yeah. Zords and the Shogun Zords, where it's just kind of like this army of very similarly shaped robots. I don't love those. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like, it's fine. I'll, like, I'll get it's on with fine. my life, but <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't like, they don't feel like an upgrade to me, I guess is the point. No. And it, I think I mean, I don't, I, I know a good amount of power this, but I can't say I know everything. They are also, I think, like, canonically one of the most powerful Zords. Because, like, I think that Zeo canonically is supposed to be, like, their most, one of the most powerful Power Ranger forms ever. Like, the Zeo crystal is supposed to be so crazy powerful. Um, Pyramidus is a different story because they all fit inside of him which is also insane. Um, and Pyramidus is apparently like, you can put anything inside of him, which is an interesting thing. Um, you wouldn't expect that he's a one size fits all, but I guess it's that big. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel about Pyramidus? I, I feel like as a kid and I know I had the toy, I feel like I was like more in, more into Pyramidus as a kid. Now I just, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm the opposite. I, I don't remember liking it that much as a kid because it's just a pyramid. And I didn't have the toy. So there's the, the toy factor. I had Super Megazord, so I like that. You had Pyramidus, so you like that. And now uh, Pyramidus is 
I think it's neat because it's just, I don't know. It, it's kind of weird because it's just a pyramid. So it's kind of boring. But then he just like is so massive that it's like, it's almost like giant man to like Galactus. We are like, yeah, giant man's big. And then Galactus shows up and you're like, oh, that's what big is. Like that's Pyramidus. Pyramidus is Galactus. Yes. All right. So before we kind of jump more into the last batch of episodes, including King for a Day, uh, just going back to the Gold Ranger arc, specifically introduction, Jason taking over. Is there anything else from those episodes that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to yet? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there'll be things I did. Actually, I took notes. Um, and I think that uh, I'll mention a couple things along the way. But, um, you know, I think that uh, Jason's return is really cool because as a kid, it's like the first time I thought that was possible, you know, even like, and I think that it's funny because like there's certain things that I watched as a kid where I didn't always understand somebody switching roles. So like I have, um, I love Dick Grayson as Nightwing. Uh, Dick Grayson as Nightwing is one of my favorite characters in all of fiction ever. But I vividly remember as a child really not liking him as Nightwing when they did that in the cartoon. Um, because I don't think I understood that he wasn't Robin anymore. Like, because I loved Robin and now he's Nightwing. And I'm like, why is he angry at Batman? Why is, you know, like I didn't quite get um, the complexity of that. Whereas... Jason is like the first time I think I like really latched on to like, even though Tommy had changed forms multiple times, it always felt so fluid. This was the first time somebody like, uh, you know how, like when you're a baby, if you can't see something, you forget it's there. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that's Jason. You, I forgot, you know, as a kid and then he comes back and you're like, Oh my God, like you were saying, you didn't know that you were missing it. Um, and I think that's a really cool thing about uh, the Gold Ranger. No, that's a superb point because you know, we've tracked Tommy's journey. And he, you know, as the Green Ranger, he loses the powers. He comes back. He loses them. He comes back as a White Ranger. And there are stretches when he's not there, but he never really feels like he's gone, gone. So, again, especially when we had this whole mystery of who's the White Ranger, it's not. I mean, I talked about how I was. I was. I did buy into the whole uh, rich Richie Red Herring, <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, watching now, it's like, well, of course it had to be Tommy, but this, yeah, this really came out of nowhere and was genuinely surprising. And it, again, like certainly as a kid, I had no idea it was going to be Jason. I don't know. And I don't know if you know if there, if word had gotten out, if this was something that people were expecting or if the audience was full on surprise. So if anyone out there knows, you know, please reach out. I'd be curious because it really, I, it's a great I, surprise. I do have to wonder. So Obviously, we're talking 1996. Fandom is a different thing in 1996 because of the way that you can interact. But that is kind of the dawn of like AOL chat rooms and message boards started to exist. I don't know if there, like, I don't think there would have been online like people. Like, were, was there a Power Rangers like chat room somewhere where people would talk about like, oh man, because, or was the audience too young? So they wouldn't have cared to do that. Like, I don't know, kind of, I'd be really interested in knowing that actually. Me too. And then behind the scenes, I, I guess the story goes that Austin St. John was coming back for the turbo movie. And this was, this became part of the deal. Like come back and do this last batch of episodes. Oh, is that of, how that happened? 
because they were doing turbo like right at the same time as these Zio episodes. So okay. uh, I believe that's, that's what happened. I, I don't want to forget this. So a buddy of mine, Zach, who was on the show recently when we talked pink Ranger sent me a, an article recently and I had no idea about this. I'm curious if you did, uh, does power Rangers hexagon ring any bells? No. Okay. So, I mean, I think this mostly flew under the radar, but I, or maybe it only even recently came to light, I guess maybe is, is more accurate where it was a planned season of power Rangers after forever red. So kind of in that, in that time frame, that never came to pass, but the pitch for it, the idea, and ultimately I think it fell apart because this is when Disney bought, um, Saban. So I think yeah, that's, right. so I think that's what kind of, you know, they did away with it. But the idea was that, uh, Tommy, I don't know if the organization itself was going to be called Hexagon. Don't hold me to that. But Tommy was essentially going to create this organization uh, to sort of, you know, be a central hub for the various Power Rangers teams and kind of was going to manage them sort of in a way. And apparently some of the Rangers weren't going to go along with this and they would ultimately ultimately align with Jason. And so the idea was that it was going to build to the civil war between Tommy and Jason. It was going to be called Power Rangers Hexagon. That was going to be the season. Uh, There are articles out out about it. So if anyone's curious, but... I'm definitely going to look into that. That sounds awesome for like a what could have been. Um, Because that's also interesting just because, you know, I know that a lot of the actors, especially Jason David Frank, had their own vision of what they kind of wanted to see at different points of the franchise. Um, And especially as we've seen these last few years with Boom Studios stepping in and kind of doing their own version, that almost sounds like in that vein of like, this would have been like for the fans. Like that's deeper lore than any Power Rangers pretty much ever does really. Yeah. I found that fascinating. So, you know, thanks to Zach for sending that my way. It's a, it's a fascinating what if, and especially having now lived through, you know, Marvel civil war in comics and on, on the right. screen, you know, you're seeing these kinds of stories and, you know, we see there's a lot of potential, right. For a lot of drama. And, and at least would have, this would have been, new territory. I mean, like Ranger on Ranger <laughs> fighting. So yeah, that would have been really cool. I'm going to have to look into that. That sounds really awesome. I'll send you the link when, when, when we get done with this, but, but anyway, right. maybe that's a good segue into, into this arc where Tommy is missing and brainwashed into thinking he's the king of the machine empire and has to fight Jason. So again, I mean, and just going back to this idea of, of bringing Jason back, I think even if they didn't do these episodes, I'm glad he came back, but especially for these episodes, and, and, and again, as much as I've been talking about this as an end of an era for me personally, as a viewer, uh, as a kid, but it was really Zio, in my mind, at least is really the end of an era in a, in a major way where not long after this, uh, you know, Tommy, Adam, Kat and Tanya, they'll depart, you know, relatively early into turbo. Um, Rocky is gone at the, at the beginning, uh, Zordon and alpha will leave, um, we don't really get much Rita and Zed after this point either, but a little bit, like I think a few fleeting appearances, but not a lot. So, you know, a lot of the, the characters and dynamics that have become staples of the franchise, you know, we're really at the end of that. And though I haven't watched any turbo yet, except for little clips here and there, I know it was generally not that well received and I have a lot of affinity for Zio. So, I mean, it really feels like the end of, of, uh, the end of an era in a lot of ways. And so to have, Jason and Tommy and to have this kind of full circle moment where Tommy is once again evil and Jason has to try to break through. Uh, I just, I just thought it was this really beautiful full circle moment. Uh, these episodes were really my favorite. 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, I was really impressed. Um, again, this is like, this is Power Rangers at its finest, kind of, because it's giving you good action, a compelling story. Um, Tommy's disappearance is interesting because, you know, what I've noticed with Zeo is, so when watching uh, Mighty Morphin, when you have a long-standing arc, you often get, like, parts. Zeo doesn't tip its hat like that. So when you're watching uh, Where in the World is Zeo Ranger 5, and they haven't resolved it at the end of the episode, I was like, oh, where are we going with this? What are we doing? And especially because, you know, at the point, at the point that we get to this episode, um, King Mondo has been seemingly defeated, um, which is crazy in itself um, because the season's still going. Like, that's actually, uh, you want to talk about things that I really appreciated. That's such a compelling villain dynamic because it's almost like... Um, He's like a mob boss, and now there's like a power vacuum, and everybody's trying to take the power. And so this is, uh, oh goodness, what what's the, it's Gasket. I, I kept wanting to say Gaston. So we meet um, Prince Gasket, and he is now trying to claim the throne from Sprocket, who is, you know, I mean, the robots, I don't know how you do age with robots, um, but he's visually a child robot and so anyways we get this whole plot and uh gasket has a whole scheme of how he's going to take the throne and use tommy to manipulate the situation to his gain and this is all really interesting stuff um and it allows them to revisit the jason and tommy dynamic in such a weird way because you know, we're, we've now been watching Tommy for like four years. Tommy is the leader of the team. He, it, I, even though the characters aren't like the same, he's kind of like Wolverine, where like he goes from being like the rogue guy to like, no, now he's kind of your point man. Um, and so this is like he got brainwashed by Weapon X or something like that, right? And all of a sudden, here comes Cyclops, here comes Jason, and he's got to kind of like save the day. Um, and... I think it's just really cool. All of all of the the buildup for this like struck me by how much I was just actually really wrapped up in the story. I I agree a thousand percent. You know, it's really funny though when I said Louis Kaboom at the beginning of the episode, I was I was I was confusing Louis Kaboom with Prince Gasket, and now I'm saying I don't know if I know who Louis Kaboom is. Which one was which one was him? Louis Kaboom. <laughs> well, because they're, they're Gasket's really important. Yeah, this Gasket. Is Louis Kaboom is also trying to take the power. See, that's what's cool. Louis Kaboom is the the guy who looks like a big blue bomb. Okay, and he's there for like he's there for like four episodes, four or five episodes as the main bad guy, and then he blows up and <laughs> dies, and we don't see him, and that's kind of, and then we get Prince Gasket. So it's like all these different players, and you've got the Rita and Zed stuff in the background. Like I forgot just there are a lot of people for the Rangers to fight in this season. Yes, but no, I agree a thousand percent with everything you said. And we touched on this last time when we were talking about that Zeo, um, the Arrowhead arc, where it's not Arrowhead parts one through four, right? It's just these four episodes and the threads continue. And 
I like that because it's not following that typical formula that we've come to expect. And it really does keep surprising you because you don't, you don't really know. And, you know, again, where in the world is Zero Ranger 5? You're watching it and you, of course, you assume, you know, it's not part one. You assume they're going to find it by the end of it in any other episode they would. But instead, it just leads into this two-part story and it really ends on this ominous moment of, you know, Tommy with his helmet on his head, you know, writhing around as he's, <laughs> as his power's yeah. being drained. So it's, it's very powerful stuff. And this is a little, a little nitpicky, but my, my understanding when Gaskett's kind of explaining to the, to the minion and to Tommy, like what happened, it seemed like they just erased Tommy's memory and then told him you're the king of the machine empire and the power Rangers are evil and showed him some doctored footage. Was that your understanding or do you, is your understanding that he was actually reprogrammed in some way? No, it definitely, it, it's weird because in where in the world is Zeo Ranger 5, they, at, they, Zordon is going on about how Tommy might not be the reprogram, he might be changed forever. And you're like, oh God, that sounds horrible. Is he going to have like trauma from like this horrible thing happening to him after he's already gone through so many horrible things too? Um, and yeah, then it's just like memory loss, which like, I okay, so I hate um, memory loss um, arcs traditionally. Um, I don't like mind wipes, memory loss, mind control. And I actually realized that the reason I don't like it is because Power Rangers does it a lot in Mighty Morphin, like way too often. Um, but this is so good. Um, like as far as a memory loss arc is, I think it's actually like the exception to the rule. Yeah. Overall, I like it a lot. Again, I'm being a little nitpicky here, but I, I, I would have been happier if it had been full on brainwashing because it's this idea of like, it's just his memory is wiped. And then he so quickly buys into this lie that he's been fed and it takes so long to break through, but I'm going to, I'm going to headcanon this and say that there was, because again, going back to what Zordon was saying with the brainwaves, I'm going to think that maybe there was a little more going on than just the mind wipe, that there was some more manipulation. The thing that I think is funny though, and this is what I find just striking is that Prince Gasket does all this and tells him that (laughs) this new guy is the King. Why doesn't Prince Gasket like tell him you are my Royal Knight and you fight it. Like, why does he make him his boss? That would like, I was watching it. That's just a weird thing to be like, hey, listen, I mind wipe this guy to be my new boss. Like, that's almost like, um, like, what is it? Uh, who does the the love potion? Who does, is it Goldar? Oh, Rita. Rita, right. Goldar, Goldar does that to Rita, right? No, Rita does it to Zed. Oh, Rita does it to Zed. But like, that's still this weird thing where she does it to her boss, so she's still kind of like, I know that that's more like she's manipulating him, but he's also still her boss. So why would you be like, oh, listen, you're going to be in charge of me. That's weird. It's weird. I'm la- on, I'm yeah. really laughing. It's- and that made me laugh when I was watching this. And, and uh, you know, it's like, I know that there's nothing there, but the psychology of it is really kind of fascinating. Like I said, there's, I don't think there's really, there's nothing that was intended to unpack, but just looking at the, at the final product, it's like, yeah, what, what was that about? One of my favorite things is, um, I really like when people do, 
and I've done it myself at times, like deep dives into like, what are you saying without saying? What is the subtext of this thing that you never intended? Like, there's no way that they were writing this and they're like, yeah, we're going to give Gasket like this weird father complex. Like they obviously meant the surface layer. He's trying to replace his dad as the king or whatever. But he literally made somebody else. Like he's got such a, I guess, kind of like an inferiority complex. Um, that's what it would be, right? Like that he's still, even when he has this amazing plan, somebody else is telling him what to do. Well, in fairness, the episode is called King for a Day, Henry. So well, what did yeah. you want them to do? Of course, <laughs> to be the king. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you're an Office fan, but it reminds me of Dwight and the back and forth that he has with Jim about where his, like, his fantasy is to be the co-manager of a hotel in hell with Satan. <laughs> it's like, right. this is your wildest fantasy? Like you're co-managing? Anyway, so, uh, but it's a, it's a, you know, regardless of how we get there, it is. And yeah, there, there is this tragedy to it that Tommy's been down this road before of, of being, you know, their spell or brainwash, but in this altered state and, and twisted into something he's not and, and pitted against his teammates. So it's, it's very compelling. And again, to have Jason there, I mean, this would have been fine even if someone else had been the gold ranger, but to have it be Jason, to have it be the guy who was there when this happened the first time. Yeah. I think is just, is pitch perfect. And a couple of other things that I say three things that really elevate this two parter for me in a, in a major, major way. One of my complaints with green with evil and they remedied this when cat was under the spell. So I do give them credit, but one of the things that always bugged me about green with evil was that there was no instance of Tommy breaking free or even attempting to break free or even resisting the spell in any sense. It's like once he's under that spell, he's under he's it until Jason destroys that sword. He's a total bad boy. Yeah. All the way. And then with Kat, they did a great job where her memories were starting to seep through and she was and she was breaking free from Rita's spell. So I really appreciated that. And then similarly here, the fact that, and I thought it was so well executed when, you know, the Rangers uh, power down and and demorph. And Kat, Kat just, I mean, and we've had episodes of, you know, her feelings for Tommy and all that. And she's just hugging him as he's trying to destroy them. And, you know, seeing them, seeing their faces, their belief in him, like actually shakes him out of it. And so I feel like for me, it redeemed one of the things that always kind of bugged me about Green with Evil, as much as I love it. And it's an iconic run of the show, no doubt. But I just I really appreciated that aspect to it. Yeah, I completely agree. That's, I think, why I didn't like a lot of mind wipe stuff for a long time. And I'm still not huge on it. But part of it is because your logical point there is like, wouldn't they resist? Wouldn't you have like the like real person peeking through? I mean, it's all fictional concepts. You know, we don't really brain have brainwashing as a reference point. It kind of, it's like time travel. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, but I think it's really cool here. And I think that it's also, I can't remember. I think it must be in this episode where Jason has this really great quiet moment um, where he says like, I can't let him down again. Yeah. And that is like, I got to say out of like watching through all this, it's a one line of dialogue. That's like one of my favorite like references, character moments, like Jason still carrying the weight. We're now two and a half seasons later and he still carries the weight of the green candle stuff with him that he still feels bad that it's his fault and that he won't let him down. Like that's 
like sometimes you can have just like a quiet beat like that that says a lot about a character. Totally. And it's funny because if anyone were to listen to this conversation, they weren't Power Rangers fans and are just used to reading or watching other stories. They might be like, why are these guys like so, like, so impressed, <laughs> like so impressed by that moment. But I like these little details. No, but it's like, and in the context of this kid show, right, which we love, sure. but we also recognize the limitations and, you know, a moment like that really goes along. And it's the sort of thing that as a kid, I'm sure we appreciate it in some form, but like why it's one of those things where you watch it as an adult and it's not just, oh, there's a nostalgia and I like watching it and it's fun. And it reminds me of being a kid. It's like, no, no, no. Like I actually genuinely think it's a great moment and it's compelling and it pulls you in. And so, yeah, that was great. Yeah. I think everybody says like, I failed you once before. Like I won't fail you. Like something, you know, kind of something yeah. to that effect. And, and it's great. The other two things, and we haven't really mentioned them yet, but, uh, but Rita and Zed. So, you know, they've been floating around, they're on the moon and, and, uh, you know, one of the, they're, they're on the moon in an RV. Yes. Mind yes. <laughs> and, you know, we've had this whole subplot uh, running through many episodes where Rito and Goldar had lost their memories and they were essentially the pets of Bulk and Skull. And then Rita and Zed in, in one of the earlier episodes we watched uh, reach out to them and restore their memories and they rejoin them on the moon and all that. But we get to this point here and it's in this King for a Day two-parter where Rita and Zed help the Rangers. They help them teleport through the force field or whatever to get to this yeah, arena. Yeah, they because there's a it's a very dramatic moment where they're so when Tommy disappears, he leaves behind like a phantom of himself. And that phantom is also a portal that brings in the Gold Ranger. And then he disappears and they can't get to him. And they never really I mean, I guess the implication is that they're on the moon, but they kind of also that's Power Rangers logic for you, like they could be anywhere because they're just like, Oh, I don't know. We can't find them anywhere. Um, so the Rangers can't find them at all. And literally if it weren't for Rita and Zed, like, yeah, Jason might not have made it out of this, you know, which then what would have happened to everybody else? Yeah. I mean, you know, they had been on the back burner for, for such a long time this season. And that's one of the things in rewatching these Zio episodes, the machine empire is fine. They're not my favorite villains. And so to see Rita and Zed back in play is great in and of itself, but to serve this completely unexpected role of helping the Rangers because it will ultimately hurt their, uh, their opponents, the machine empire was just, I mean, I, I just, I absolutely loved it. And then the final thing about this two-parter bulk and skull. I was going to ask you about bulk and skull because I know you have mixed emotions about them and they have, a great bit here. And I think, so I, hmm, I would say I also probably have mixed emotions about bulk and skull. Um, I think some of the humor is power Rangers is a product of the nineties. And most of the humor is like slapstick, but some of it I think can be like a little Mm, malicious is too harsh of a word, but some of it's a little bit like mean spirited maybe when it comes to bulk and skull. So some of that humor I don't really like, but over time we see them kind of become more fleshed out characters. And I don't know how you feel about Lieutenant stone, but I'm, I'm also very mixed on him. Um, but by the time that we reach bulk and skull here, I mean, we've 
unlike everybody else, we have seen them from day one. They have been here this entire time. So to see them kind of finally showing a little bit of spine and actually like helping progress the story in a meaningful way was really cool. So I've been recording ahead a little bit, so you haven't heard the last couple of episodes, but I have actually come around a lot on Vulcan Skull, and it's really and it's really funny because in the last episode, my guest uh, Joe was n- not so keen on the two of them, and and even said at one point, like what like what role do they serve essentially? And I I of all people found myself defending and explaining <laughs> Vulcan Skull, <laughs> and uh, wow. so I've come around a lot, and and the two of them in this where. Uh, they get zapped to this, you know, war world, uh, and they're in prison, and they meet one of the fellow. War world is a great way to put it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, couldn't help but think of war world, uh, you know, and they meet this this fellow prisoner gladiator, and, and they hatch this plan. Well, and, by the way, that's so odd. He's like a he's an alien that looks kind of like a lizard man, and has the deep. He's got like a black manta voice, like it's just like ungodly deep. But he's really cool for two episodes, and I don't think. Ever again, probably. And seemed like the voice was dubbed over, no? Definitely. That didn't feel like, it, it was like Rita, like where it's like, it's a good lip sync, but it's weird. Well, you know what's funny? So watching this, I assumed at the beginning that all the stuff on quote unquote War World was Japanese footage. Mm-hmm. And then clearly not, right? Because we see the Rangers on more. Yeah. Uh, and even when, you know, when Bulk and Skull show up there, I'm like, oh, did they just like, are we only going to see their side of the scene? And then we're just going to cut to the, right. you know, and then you see them together. So, you know, they, they, you know, this was original, which was awesome, but yeah, they, they make themselves out to be these great warriors. Uh, so you see the bravado, you see the initial, you know, an inept, ineptitude, but then, yeah, you know, they, they fight the cogs and they win. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. I believed it. And that's the thing that's insane to me, especially bulk using his physicality. I'm like, yeah, I actually right. could kind of buy that. Like, he, like okay. smash into them. Yeah. Oh, you can definitely argue that they would like be at this point. I hope they know how to throw a punch or at least like make their way through something, you know, not saying that they're, you know, professional boxers, but I mean, these are guys that um, regularly deal with, horrible trauma and hang out with monsters. Um, so I'm glad that, uh, they get to see this growth. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really fun B plot for this episode. It's actually like, as far as two parters go, this is just a very, like, I know you were saying, this is a very strong, it's a very tight two episodes. Um, I like that it's kept to two because like, um, you know, the three parters are still fine but it can kind of feel like you're drawing out plot points and especially cause it's all kind of like a bottle. Um, like it's like a bottle episode. So like believing that they're all just on this one location for the majority of this, um, would be a little far fetched if you kept it going. Yes. I think they've, there have been some three parters they've done really well. I think there've been a number of three parters that really should have been two parters. And, you know, the one four part or Ninja Quest could have easily been three. So yeah, more often than not, I feel like, hey, we could probably cut something out. An episode. And yeah. so this, I agree, this was perfect. But with Bulk and Skull, it was just like, I feel like just the ultimate payoff to these characters where you get kind of all of the shades of Bulk and Skull, right? Uh, but this, this you know, a, a, amazing, you know, a, a, you know, amazing feat that they're able to perform. And you know, obviously they've been part of the junior police patrol and they've had some training, but I also think 
and it's not said explicitly, but it's like, you know, they've been watching Tommy and Jason and all these characters give all of these martial arts lessons at the youth center for all of these years. I do kind of wish there had been some moment where at some point they said, like, oh, we watched those guys all those years. Like we picked up something, but right. I feel like that's part of it too. And then the, the last thing with Bulk and Skull, when they're all on the, uh, at the lake uh, at the end, right. And they're, they're talking to um, Kat and Tommy and Jason about how they helped the Rangers by helping destroy the force field and all that. And it's this great moment where you see the Rangers, you know, in their civilian guises, like, regarding them, you know, as, as friends, essentially as peers and they believe them, but bulk and skull can't believe <laughs> that they believe. Them. I I love that bit so much. <laughs> and they think that they're being like mean again with the mean spirited. They think that they're like poking fun at them and they're like, no, you don't believe us. And they're like, no. And they're like smiling completely sincerely. Like, no man, we really believe you. Like, good job. I'm sure the Rangers appreciate it. And they're like, mm we don't need you. And they just like, you know, get annoyed. And um, I think that's a great bit. You know, the dynamic that they develop, because at this point they are also more just friends. Like they're like goofball friends where they're obviously not part of the group, but they're no longer bullying or pestering. They're kind of just like goofing around a bit. Um, And I like that uh, the Rangers are trying they're trying in their civilian lives they're trying to be nicer and be like no guys good job <laughs> i know but you know what's funny though it's like in fairness to bulk and skull not knowing that they're the rangers and of course they would know what happened and but it, it i can to it to an extent believe a little bit where they might be perceiving this as sarcasm but ultimately it's like they just can't get out of their own way these two but uh, no. other than the end of in space when they you know uh you know, pretend to be Power Rangers in the streets and, uh, you know, everyone kind of follows their lead. I feel like this is peak Bulk and Skull because I feel like you get the best. You get them true to their self, t- true to who they are, but uh, but the best qualities of them too. I, I, I was so happy with how this yeah. played. I just, because I can't recall, did you like their role in the Mighty Morphin movie? Oh. Like, uh... I'm saving, working with the kid to save the parents? Yeah, that was fine. They had so little to do, but yeah, I was fine with that. But to me, I always like that too. Like, I think that there's like moments peppered where like, I like that moment a lot because it's like the second the kid's like, oh, my parents are going to jump off a cliff. They're like, oh, well, we can't have that. And they save them. Um, So I put that also in the conversation of like good Vulcan skull. And of course the baby carriage. Yes. 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 I know. Yeah. That, that was definitely a standout moment for them. No, I've come, look, I've, (laughs) That's ultimately, I think, when we look at the the, the life of this podcast series, uh, that's the oh, that's the ultimate arc here. My learning that's to love. your arc is uh, <laughs> bulk and skull appreciating. I think so. So now, before we talk about the the last episode and how this all wraps up, I don't really have a ton about a brief mystery in time. I'll be honest; I read the description. I didn't really have a memory of it, but this whole idea of Tommy reliving the same day, and we've seen this done to great effect in various shows. Um, uh, you know, Legends of Tomorrow, I know I poo-pooed the Arrowverse a little while ago, but Legends of Tomorrow, they did a great version. We've seen a lot of lot of different uh, tellings of this kind of story. I thought it was going to be a little bit better than it was, but it was fine. I mean, what was your take on it? I, I think it's fine. Um, I like that we do, like, it's funny. This is a, what, these episodes are 20 minutes long, basically. And so seeing this, you can only do it so many times in that short of a window of, uh, you know, airtime. 
So the fact that we would revisit the same day like three times, I'm like, oh, okay, we're back here again. Um, but I thought it was fine. You know, I think it's neat. It was, um, I think what's cool about it is that even though it doesn't stand out as like a remarkable episode, it is one of the more different episodes. It's like that. And there's also, um, there's the musical episode. Um, and that episode was actually really fun because it stuff like that where I'm like, okay, there's a little bit of a creative energy to this you're flexing a little bit you're doing something a little you know a little bit more unique to these episodes and i think that given that especially for a lot of these characters and a lot of the viewers at this point you know you can plausibly still have the same audience you had at day one i know that viewership for mighty morphin is higher than zeo but you still probably have a lot of people so you do have to keep it fresh so i i give them props for doing this the way that they did. I think it's neat, if nothing else. That's a great point. And also just about, you know, like kind of growing with your audience and not that Zio was all of a sudden so much more adult or mature, but like we were saying in terms of how they were structuring some episodes, in terms of how they were, uh, you know, kind of weaving these threads through multiple episodes without making full-on multi-parters, the fact that, going back to our, our last podcast, that we had multiple episodes dealing with Tommy's heartbreak, dealing with, again, this long lost brother and this, you know, this mysterious family history. Tommy goes through it in this show. In Zio, he's, he's put through the ringer a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I really do give them credit for, for doing that and, and kind of telling, you know, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more uh, interesting and a little bit more mature story. So, so I think that was cool. This is nitpicky, but at the end of, uh, brief mystery in time and they have to destroy this orb that's causing the time loop. And, uh, you know, it's like they're fighting the monster and really can't get through, can't get past this monster. And then the cogs show up, right? Cause you know, it's like gasket and sprocket. They're kind of, you know, they each have their plans and they're, you know, they're butting heads. And like Tommy sends all the other Rangers to fight the cogs. And he's going to try to get past this monster that thus far, none of them have been able to get past. And ultimately, of course, he does because the episode needs to end and we have to we have to win the day. But just in terms of I don't mean to dump on Tommy, but in terms of Tommy as the leader and just his 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 strategy, it's like, well, I don't know. I was really questioning his uh, his judgment in the field in that moment. That's, uh, I think, a valid thing for you to question. (laughs) You're like, all right, man, you know, I I get it. You know, that's uh, that's where you would say it's the Tommy show. Right. Like that's a, a moment where you're like, okay. I understand the criticism. Yeah. I haven't just been watching too many of these now. (laughs) 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 All right. So, uh, the good is gold, right? The finale episode 50, the end of, of, uh, power Rangers Zio. Did this, how much of a, of a like finale? I mean, again, obviously it's not the series finale of, of the franchise. It's just this, you know, this particular series, this iteration. Uh, I mean, I guess how satisfying of a finale did it, did it feel uh, to you? So on a character level, I think it's quite satisfying. On a plot level, a little bit less. Because this is actually almost the opposite effect of where I like that some of the other episodes are telling a narrative arc without being clearly labeled. This, for the finale of a show... Um, and obviously we get turbo a couple months later in the movie and all that, 
but this is a lackluster plot finale, I think, with at least the Machine Empire. They almost feel like an afterthought um, because Jason's arc is really important, but because it's only the one episode, um, we don't, I think, get to have like as grand of a send-off. I mean, let's keep in mind that like, you know, when we had some of the villains in Mighty Morphin, they get these huge fights and you see them turn into the monsters and fighting themselves or they've, you know, Goldar's fighting alongside and they're giant and they're doing this whole thing. And this is kind of just, oh, they blow. (laughs) You know, it's not even really the Rangers, you know? So it's odd. No, I think you summed that up really well. I, I, I agree with no, I agree with that completely. You know, character wise, solid, plot wise, mythology wise, a little bit lacking. I guess especially in light of how they bridge the gap between Mighty Morphin and Zeo, and we've covered that in a prior episode, but it was like they just it felt like such an event and you were just like carried along, right, from right. from one to the other. And here you don't have that. It really just kind of comes to a conclusion. And I guess this is also colored by the fact that though I haven't watched Turbo yet, I, I know enough about it. And I know one of the criticisms is that I, I guess there were deleted scenes. I don't know if they were filmed or not, but they were at least in the script that explained what happened to the Zeo powers and why they had to sh- shift into Turbo. But what you see in the movie so, is they just get the powers, right? There, It's been a long time since I've seen Turbo. Um, probably like when I was in the single digits. But my memory is that they have a very brief explanation like about as brief as possible and you see them morph halfway once and that's it. Like it is, you'll like the the one, I don't know. My memories on turbo are pretty mixed, but the one thing I will remember is that they do try to morph and then it fails them. Okay. Which is also just really weird because like I was saying, these are canonically supposed to be pretty powerful dudes. I mean, they just, also, let's not forget that at this point, we've got um, the Megazords. We've got the... Because unlike Mighty Morphin, Mighty Morphin, everything gets blown up all the time. This, they're just... Ra- like, they are just, like, rolling deep with robots. They've got the regular <laughs> Megazord. They've got the Super Megazord. They've got... What, what is it? The, the wheel thing that I can't remember the name of that I... I I was talking about the wheel thing earlier. I don't like the wheel. They've got the red um, Battlezord. The Battlezord. Battlezord. Um, the red Battlezord, which I do actually like. Um, but then they also have, even on a gadget level, they've got their own weapons. They've got the wheel thing that shoots them out like a cannon, which also, again, the wheels, they don't make sense to me. And then, you know. What happens to that stuff? That's where the uh, I think the turbo criticism is valid. Um, and here you don't even you know you don't even need to delve into. Oh, and also pyramidus. I guess you could argue pyramidus leaves with this. You can make that, but still, I don't know. No, it's all fair. So I think it gets a little wonky there. Now at the same time looking at this kind of as, as a good stopping point or jumping off point, 
I think it kind of works well enough, right? Because we get the conclusion to yeah. Jason's arc where he's he's unable to maintain these Gold Ranger powers. They're fading and his life force with it. So he needs to transfer them back to Trey. But Trey hasn't yet been able to unify himself. So they have to bring Trey of Triforia uh, to the power chamber uh, and hatch this plan to like bounce a beam between Aquatar, Triforia, and Earth. And uh, it has to hit him in exactly the right spot by the, by the rocks in order to unify him. And then he can take the powers back. And uh, By the way... Finding out that Trey was actually played by triplets was kind of surprising. I just thought that this was like some trickery. It is actually triplets is kind of cool. Yes. I had the same thought. And initially I, the same thing. I'm like, it's gotta be one guy and they're doing, they're doing some kind of effect. But then when I watched, you know, watched a clip at some point a while ago, I said, no, that looks too good for them to have been <laughs> yeah. able to fake that. And then I looked them up and it's, yeah, these triplets, they'd also done an episode of boy meets world at one point. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I looked up a little. Apparently, there is controversy because they um, they they don't get along with some of the other rangers behind the scenes, oh. uh, um, which is interesting. Also, you forget just like does I guess Trey counts as one. He's one guy, like, but it's three. Like, there's a lot of rangers by this point too. He's like, I was I was doing the math earlier. I was thinking about how. The Gold Ranger is like, I guess at least when it's Trey, he's like the twelfth Ranger we've seen, something like that. Which is weird to think that they went through because you got your starting five, like Green. Even if you would just want to count people, like we're Trey is far down the line at this point. Yeah, that's a good, yeah with the Alien Rangers and all that. No, that's a good point. Um, I have to say, I really did love how this episode kicked off with Jason already morphed, being chased uh, yeah. by the cogs, and then Rita and Zed and the Tengas intervening, and you get the villains facing off. Rita has this line about how she preferred Jason in red. He sneaks off while they're fighting. I love it. You know, a, a funny thing I noticed while I was watching that was that they play the music from, like, the ninja fights yes. when the Tengas appear, and I was like, that's cool. I like I didn't realize I missed that song because it, it's fine, but like hearing that I was like, "Ooh, it's a tango fight." Yes, yeah, that that was such a good touch. And again, like as a kid, never would have registered that, but watching it, I'm like, "Oh, like that is, it, it's subtle, but you pick up on it, and uh, and it, and it's great." And so you know, the stakes feel high. Like Jason's, you know, J Jason's fading here, and so again, they go through these various machinations and the beam hits and we're able to transfer the powers and uh, you know then we get the final boss fight against M M giant mondo and in a twist we don't get a zord fight but rather the rangers themselves grow yeah which is that's also the weird thing like you've got like so many robots you don't need to do this yourself it would have taken you too have, long apparently <laughs> apparently it's so funny because they've got especially I, they have more robots than people at this point, which is weird. But uh, I guess maybe that's why they were indecisive and they figured, eh, we'll do it. I, I suppose. I, I'm I'm mixed on it because I, I always, you know, it happens so rarely where a ranger actually grows. But it just, it's weird. I don't know. Just the kind of the, the, the science of it is just weird. I don't know. I don't love it. But at the same time, it is different. And we're at a finale here. And so... This it, does it make it feel different. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, this does make it feel a little different. So, you know, they, they're able to defeat Mondo, but to your point, the Machine Empire is not really done in until Rita and Zed give them a, a parting gift that turns out to be a bomb that blows them all up. Yeah, which is, it's it's satisfying for like Rita and Zed, but it is like a little bit, I've always been a little bit mixed on the idea that when you see these giant fights happen and that doesn't defeat them. Like there's an episode at some point, a couple episodes before this, where a gasket uh, grows and has a fight and they defeat him and he just shrinks back down. And like they do that with Goldar all the time and Mighty Morphin, like all the time Goldar fights numerous times as a giant. And that's always weird that it's like, why is that explosion destroying this monster? but it doesn't destroy this monster. And we don't know, we don't have a clear indicator of when it is or is not a fatal explosion. I know. And what are the rules here? I've thought about that too. I know. I'm with you. But uh, just as I loved Rita and Zed helping them in King for a Day, I, there is something very satisfying about them being the ones to to deliver that final blow. So. You know, so we get that. And then again, from this emotional standpoint, you know, Jason's put his life as a ranger behind him. He's walking off into the sunset with Emily, who he's been developing a relationship with. And Tommy and Kat walk off together hand in hand. So, yeah, yeah like you said, from a character standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, I, I think it's it's pretty satisfying in that sense. Yeah, I like it. And it's interesting because, you know, we didn't I think we I don't know if we touched on Emily yet. She's kind of an interesting little addition to the supporting cast because she's like she's kind of taking over some of Ernie's responsibilities in the juice bar um she's also a romantic foil for Jason and she's it's kind of fun to have like this extra little character there like you know you were joking about like uh Richie earlier and how you thought he was uh the white ranger back then I kind of liked just that there were people there that were not just bulk and skull you know, how many episodes introduce a character and then we never see them again. Even um, Tanya has a, there's a, a subplot in a couple episodes in the season where Tanya goes out with this guy and he's a jerk and he's like a baseball player and he's in like three episodes. And even just like that is like nice because it adds, uh, I don't know, like Power Rangers is not known for its reality, but I like the idea of recurring supporting characters um and also you know uh jason i think does a really good job looking really cool when he's just like walking off with this girl who's like also still quite mysterious to us even though she's around we don't really know her so it kind of just makes him look like he's cool and the cool guy walking off with this beautiful girl yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's it's a great moment. And I agree with you. I think populating the world makes it feel like more of a lived in place, Angel Grove. And I think there's a lot of value to that. Uh, you know, one thing that we just touched on very briefly was Billy's departure. And uh, I did not assign these two episodes. And I actually, I started to rewatch Rangers of Two Worlds. And I was like, I saw the old man, Billy. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing this. So I just skipped over those. But I think, you know, people know the story that David Yost had walked off the show during King for a Day. And there are a few episodes where Billy is neither seen nor mentioned. Uh, and then in this Rangers of Two Worlds two-parter, uh, the Rangers are summoned to the power chamber and Billy's an old man. And it turns out the device that had aged him back up during the Alien Ranger saga now had unintended, uh, you know, consequences. And now he's become this old man. And 
ultimately he's cured on Aquatar and decides to stay there. And, uh, you know, one of the things that kind of turned me off in watching it, aside from knowing all the behind the scenes stuff, which is so, um, very awful and unfortunate that David Yost went through that again, so happy that he came back for once and always and had this amazing yeah. return. I mean, fantastic. He was great in it too. So good. Him and, uh, Walter Jones were just great. I was really impressed with, it was nice seeing them back. Yes. But one one of the other things that kind of turned me off when I started rewatching Rangers of Two Worlds, not to <laughs> not to not to be overly critical, but the old the actor playing old Billy did not in any way, shape, or form feel like Billy. I feel like they could have done no. any kind of better job <laughs> to make it feel like that could actually be Billy in fifty years. I, I feel bad because if he were a different character, he's fine. But he's not. He's Billy. He's a really important character. Um, who, again, if you've been watching it from the beginning, you've been watching for four years. Um, and I actually, it's this, I have mixed emotions about those episodes because I actually have to say bravo to the writers because what an impressive, like, plot point to pull out of your back pocket to be like, hey, remember that we had Billy age at a different rate? Wouldn't it be great if that's how we wrote him out? And I'm like, you know, it's dumb, but given that you have to replace David Yost for the purpose of the episode, um, it's very clever. Um, it's, I don't use dumb in a bad way. I think that dumb is one of those words that um, I think people, uh, it's got too many negative connotations. Sometimes that's good. Like dumb is simple. Dumb is like, no, like, come on. It's obvious. It's right there. Um, so I think that's clever. And those episodes are actually like, It's very difficult because I really empathize with the situation that David Yost was in. And I think that it's almost, uh, it's a somewhat inappropriate ending for him, given that, you know, he was, you know, that there was tension backstage about his uh, sexuality and about his relationship with uh, the other cast members. So it's somewhat of an inappropriate ending that they ship him off and give him a weird alien girlfriend on an alien planet. Um, but at the same time, it does feel like they were trying in a sense that plot point, notwithstanding the other stuff, the Aquatar stuff, um, which I don't know how you feel about them, but I'm eh on those Rangers. Um, but I think it's actually, all things considered, relatively appropriate. Just making the best out of a really awful situation, I guess. I agree. And I, I especially agree that's a great pull, right? To be like, oh, remember that? He used that device and now it's, it, it, you know, it had this effect. So, yeah, I mean, I think it works. And look, it's not the first time, nor will it be the last time, where they have to work around people not being there. And it is kind of a fascinating uh, putting everything else aside, but just kind of fascinating. Like when we went back and we looked at, you know, the ninja encounter and the power transfer. Uh, and even most recently when we talked about once and always when you didn't have yeah. you know three of the actors there. And it's, it's just always kind of interesting to see, all right, how do they do this? And you know, they've had a number of instances where they, where they've had to. Just to connect the threads a little bit. I don't know if there is a, like if there's a known reason for this, but it, we also don't see Rocky in the last episode um, as Rocky. We only get like 
blue, whatever his range of ranger, uh, uh, Zeo Ranger three, sorry. Um, so we get him in his blue morphed form, but we don't just see Rocky. And I was looking up that he apparently part of the reason he left the show was he wanted to, uh, run a dojo of his own. Um, so I just wonder if he wasn't available, like if what the timetable is, cause he made time for the movie, which is the next thing. Well, I know. Cause when he shows up morphed in there and Tommy's like, sorry to pull you away from martial arts camp. He's like, no worries. And you know, he's, he's just in it. <laughs> so my understanding, and, and again, you know, I don't put myself out to be any kind of authority. And most of what I know of this is again, from like reading Rangers wiki and IMDB trivia and things like that. But my understanding is he did actually, actually I know in power Rangers turbo Rocky gets injured, but I believe that, that, uh, Steve Cardenas had an injury. Uh, okay. And so again, since this was kind of happening at the same time, it might've been that that precluded him from being in the episode and just, he just did the voiceover. I don't really, I'm really not positive, but I definitely clocked that too, where, uh, and it, it took me a second too, but then I'm, I'm watching this big battle. I'm like, wait a minute, they're down a ranger. And then, uh, you know, he comes in and he has his, his moment. Yeah. I always kind of chuckle because, uh, I guess as a kid, you take for granted that like sometimes you just don't see one of them for like half the episode. Um, so you kind of just go, oh, okay, Rocky's doing something else, I guess. Kind of helps like, oh, look, they have their own lives because they're busy with some throwaway line. Oh, I was at karate camp. You know? Yeah. Well, spe- even uh, where in the world is Zero Ranger 5, the others are there and they are unmorphed in the power chamber, but most of it is Jason and Kat yeah. in that episode looking for Tommy. So yeah. And to the show's credit, I think the fact that we're not, it's not so in your face and it's so obvious, like it takes you a minute to be like, Oh yeah, yeah. Someone's not there. You know, I think that yeah. that's good. So, well, first, is there anything else that you want to say about any of these episodes that we didn't get to? Um, no, you know, I think that they're just really fun. Um, I have a like, really soft spot in my heart for Zio and I don't necessarily have any reason why. Um, and it's funny that, um, you mentioned this really as a ending in a lot of ways, because I was thinking about, um, this earlier, the, there's, uh, the idea that in comic books, you always create new jumping on points, right? Obviously comic book guy. So, there's the logic that you're supposed to invite new readers, but the other side of the coin is that a lot of the time when you create a new jumping on point, you are also creating an ending for everything else that came before it. So I think that that's kind of the duality of what Zio, especially Zio into Turbo is, because um, that's, I feel like there's a more natural progression between Mighty Morphin to Zio because you have that, weird alien rangers thing that does work as a good bridge from a plot perspective whereas zeo if you were to turn on the tv the next week you got an episode of turbo you go eh, actually i think i'm okay which i guess is what you did right i don't think i even got that far i i really i've really been trying to think about this especially now realizing not to belabor the point but now realizing that i watched basically until the end of zeo the fact that there was then a turbo movie that came out and I, I mean, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I have no memory of this. Like, I can't even remember seeing a commercial for it or even knowing that it was out. So I don't know. I don't know what happened or did I see something of it? And I just, it, 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 I didn't like it. I have no idea, but maybe there is something to what we're talking about here where 
But again, I don't even remember watching Good as Gold, so my argument kind of falls apart. But but just kind of this idea that Zio, the end of Zio, felt like a natural stopping point. Maybe yeah. that that played into it in some way. I don't know. It's very hard well, to say. I think anytime you're talking about, I mean, we're talking 96, 97, like, you know, that's 25 years ago, more than that. So I think it's perfectly fair if some of it gets a little fuzzy. Um, I'm like that with, you know, I vaguely remember seeing movies from when I was a kid that I don't remember a single plot point, but I'm like, I know I saw it in the theater, you know, I, I know that I saw the kid starring Bruce Willis, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. So, you know, that sometimes happens with, uh, the passage of time. Very true. But like yourself, I too have a soft spot for Zio. You know, this marks the end of our Zio trilogy. We did three episodes revisiting a lot of the key episodes and arcs, and it was an absolute delight. And and this one in particular, I mean, hey, of course I enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed all of the talks, but yeah. these episodes in particular uh, really, really held up very well for me. Even even recognizing that, yes, there's so much nostalgia that, that that warms the heart as I'm watching this, but even filtering that out, there's a lot of really good stuff here. And, and yeah, like yourself, uh, Zio, you know, Zio, I have a special place for it. So it was, it was a blast to revisit. And I thank you so much for coming along for this ride. I really thank you for having me. I, uh, I really enjoyed, you know, the funny thing is too, I've been casually rewatching this stuff. Um, and a couple of my friends are into Power Rangers but they also haven't watched this in since they were kids and maybe they watched Sentai or something like that, like the super Sentai series, but you don't often get an opportunity to actually talk about, um, the weird, I mean, I got to talk about uh, Prince gasket, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I, I really enjoyed the weird family dynamics of those characters. And it's nice to be able to talk about a TV show from 25 years ago. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so thank you. And if people want to follow you on, on social media, where would you like to direct them? Um, you can follow me on all social media at have comics. It's H a V comics. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and, uh, yeah. Right on. All right, folks do it. Uh, thank you again, Henry. Thank you audience. I always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you come back in two weeks for our next all new episode Once a Ranger fan, always a Ranger fan. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.